Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Verrier. Joining me today, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz, special guests popping in, Jonathan Charks. What's up, buddy? Hey, it's good to be back. I was once a regular, now I'm a special guest, so we'll go with You're that. always special to us, man. Yes, sir. I think that's a promotion, all things considered. Right, yeah. You're, you're too good for the podcast, is what we're saying. I'll go with that. This is a special occasion because this is Rob Mahoney's bachelor party. This is the bachelor party. <laughs> We're shipping our guy off to uh, to marriage land this weekend. And so as this pot is going on, Waz is going to take off one piece of clothing per segment. Oh, wow. <laughs> I hope that's okay with you. <laughs> I think there was a bit of miscommunication. There's no wedding. I'm just doing the same thing I do every time. Dante XM signs a new contract, which is throw a huge party for all my family and friends to celebrate, you know? <laughs> So, Varian, we're turning this into a hot tub Twitch. Uh, a lot of people who are not on Twitch don't know this, but they have very strict guidelines about, like, sexual content, right? Or, like, what you can wear. But if you do it in the context of, like, somewhere where it'd be normal to have a bikini and a thong on, then they let it rock. So a bunch of Twitchers <laughs> record in a hot tub so that they could get away with doing explicit content. This is a hot tub pod. <laughs> mm. <laughs> for all legal purposes. One of those, right? No, 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 no. I've never done a hot tub Twitch, but I might have watched one or two of them before. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Kids are wild, man. Although I guess maybe like Waz age people are also wild. So I don't know. So Rob, that's what you have to look forward to. Congrats. I can't, I can't wait. Piece by piece. Let's go. Okay. Well, other than uh, Rob's ensuing in, in nuptials, uh, we're going to talk about a couple other things. We're going to get into a potpourri section toward the back end, which I'm not too, not too sure of how this is going to work out, but we'll go with it. We're going to get to Aaron Gordon's extension, but first actual news. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUVs. It's good to stay up to date like I do with the NBA. You might catch me walking around the street, I'm listening to the Ringer NBA show, or I might be online looking at theringer.com 
looking at some power rankings from Howard Beck. Or, you know, I might listen to old episodes of Real Ones. And that's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps Assistant, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Nissan Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada at NissanUSA.com. Pretty decent sized news item from yesterday. John Wall, it seems like his era in Houston, which I think amounted to 40 games, most of which he was injured or playing on a very, very, very bad team. Is that E-R-R-O-R or E-R-A? Which one was it? It's good. It's good stuff. You should you should write some headlines for our website. <laughs> this is a Shams story after meeting and seeing eye to eye on the direction of the Houston Rockets. So the Rockets and John Wall both see the situation the same. They are on the same page. This is a joint agreement. The franchise and John Wall have agreed to work on finding a new home for the five-time All-Star guard. The plan is for Wall to remain present in air quotes, in training camp. Don't know what that means, but he's not going to play in games. So the writing is on the wall. He's probably following in the footsteps of Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, some of these guys from last year who just sat on the bench and waited for a trade and then inevitably got bought out. Uh, my question, Charks, do you think that there ever will be a trade for John Wall uh, or is this inevitably going to head to a buyout situation? I was going to say what remain present means is not pull a James Harden. Like that's just, that's what that means. And I think there is a trade out there. I was actually looking at it this morning. I think the Clippers make sense for John Wall. They can throw together some contracts. So if they put up Eric Bledsoe, Luke Kennard, Serge Ibaka, that would make sense for John Wall. And I think he'd actually fit in LA with Paul George this season and with Kawhi next year. I mean, to me, that's the one team that would actually make sense to do this. And I'm kind of buying it. As you're bringing this up, I go to Google John Wall's name. And the first <laughs> suggestion is John Wall, then John Wall contract. <laughs> <laughs> and when I heard this yesterday, you know, I thought about his is one of the deals along with Westbrook, along with Chris Paul, that when they were signed, the Chris Paul Rockets deal, that when they were signed, everybody was kind of made a face like, huh? This mm-hmm. is not going to look nice in a few years. And, you know, to the credit of Chris Paul and Westbrook, Westbrook won. His contract has been moved quite easily basically since he got signed and we thought it was untradeable. And Chris Paul, as a matter of fact, got a new deal, right? After the contract that was pretty sizable. But John Wall, I think it's going to be, it's going to be tough to move this thing because, you know, for a guy to be making $42 million, which is like, all right, let's just say it was Mike Conley and what he did on um. Utah last year, right? Like it's a big ass contract, but it's a team that's on the cusp and he's actually performing and helping them and taking them to another level. That's one thing. I don't know that John Wall is going to perform that, right? Like it's one thing to be overpaid. It's, and I know this is going to sound very profound, but it's another thing to be vastly overpaid. <laughs> and that's what John Wall is. This is going to be tough. I'm, I'm going to be watching this closely because again, you know, and we'll get into this with Aaron Gordon, but he is in clutch. We trust 
you know, the way they do business is a lot different from a lot of people. So I'm, I'm interested to see how this gets handled. The thing about being overpaid too, is it's not just seeing a number and getting the sticker shock and the exorbitant salary. It, it just makes it actively more difficult to move them. Like other than, you know, the kinds of scenarios that Sharks laid out with the Clippers, where you have multiple veterans on contracts worth like 10, 15 million or more, it's just hard to get enough money together, much less to actually want this version of John Wall. Well, I do want to talk about the Clippers part of this because Sharks' suggestion was interesting because I thought about the Clippers as an option if you were to get bought out. I honestly couldn't come up with a single team who who would actively trade for John Wall on his contract, which for the record is two years, $19.17 million. Uh, the second year is a player option. He will most likely be taking that player option. And so like, Waz, do you think that fit? makes sense like if you're just giving up like guys who aren't essential to to the title winning product with with LA do you think you like him in that team as a hooper of course because John Wall especially back in his heyday you know when he was leading the league in corner threes generated and stuff like that like he was an incredible playmaker he was incredible at setting guys up and finding open shooters and you know driving kick type of game like he was amazing at that he kind of left it because sometimes I think guys don't feel content being a table setter. They feel like you get your name in Sports Center by getting buckets, right? Hashtag buckets, hashtag that dude's a bucket. You know, I think he kind of got, he fell into that trap of wanting to be a quote unquote bucket getter. But man, his, his greatest strength has always been his playmaking, breaking dudes got down off the dribble and finding open guys. And the Clippers have been lacking playmaking pretty much ever since the Paul George and Kawhi acquisitions. That's why it seems to me to make a lot of sense. Because Paul and then Kawhi down the road can play off the ball, John Wall can set those guys up. He won't take a ton of shots. And all their salaries are like actively harmful. Eric Bledsoe at $20 million, like who cares? Luke Kennard doesn't <laughs> even play in the playoffs half the time. Serge was hurt last year with a bad back in yeah. the playoffs. Like none of those guys are very essential to what they do. And I would say like, I'd put John Wall more in the category of, of Chris Paul and Westbrook. Whereas like Kevin Love is an actively terrible contract because nobody <laughs> wants him. John like Wall nobody. can still be an effective player. I think he right. shot last year in Houston in a smaller role, which he could have with the Clippers. It's just crazy to think that at this point, there's a whole generation or a partial generation of basketball fans who have never seen John Wall. Since he signed the contract. Yeah. Yeah. If you jumped into the NBA to watch like the Kevin Durant Warriors or you got on the Raptors bandwagon, like you don't even know who good John Wall is. Right. And I, I hope that player's still in there somewhere. We saw, I think, glimpses of it in Houston, but that situation is just so hard to evaluate a veteran like Wall in that kind of on that kind of team. To to my capologist on the pod. How do you how do you go about buying out ninety million dollars? <laughs> like, how does that fucking work, dude? Well, I mean, Blake Griffin is still making close to thirty this year to play for the Nets. So all this talk about him humbling himself and being just a role guy—he's actually getting paid more than most NBA players. Well, you ask you ask the right question, Waz, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. It's how does Tillman Fertitta buy out John Wall's contract? <laughs> sure, it's, it's one thing for Tom Gore's and the private equity money to do it. It's a very different thing for Rockets ownership to be buying out. I think it's two years. What do we have like nine, 92 million about for wall left? Yep. Hey, yeah. Mastro's is back open. That butter cake, y'all. Them <laughs> things is flying off the shelves. My question with wall is 
does he still have the athleticism that he needs to be the John Wall or of old or an approximation of it? Like, can he defend at a high level? Because if he can, like, he seems like more of an upgrade of what they're hoping to get the Clippers out of Eric Bledsoe. And so in that regard, if you don't have hope for Luke Kennard and you assume that Serge is just going to be dealing with his back issue for the foreseeable, I kind of like it. It's, it's the best option on the board if you're saying you have to trade him, you can't just buy him out. You know, we used to have this this sort of idea or just we used to think of it as law as like more athletic type of guys. They fall off quicker because they're relying upon their athleticism and less skill. And so therefore, when it wanes, their athleticism wanes, their game falls off a cliff. I tend to kind of feel the opposite way. I think that they're operating at such a high level of athletic gifts that when they fall off, it's still a pretty freaking athletic dude, right? Like he's no longer, you know, basically Usain Bolt with the basketball in his hand, but a decrease from that is still a pretty fast dude with the ball in his hand. Pretty good at moving his feet on defense. I think, you know, we mentioned Sergi Baga. I think he's a perfect example of this. At his peak in Oklahoma, that dude was switching out and guarding LeBron on the perimeter. And no, he can't do that anymore, right? Like, he's not going to guard the best guys at the end of shot clocks on the perimeter in any credible fashion. But, man, he's better at moving his feet than Ja Okafor, right? Like, or some of these slow-footed guys that we see in the league, even at his age. And so I think the same can be said for John Wall. Like, he's not going to be the uber-mega-explosive athlete that he was at the peak of his powers. But, man, like, he's working from such a a huge reserve of elite athleticism. I think he could still be, man, a really effective guy at both of those things, both getting by people off the dribble and staying in front of people on defense. And on the other side of the ball, like he's got real vision. John Wall is a really good passer, reader of the action. Now, some of that stuff is dependent on blowing past the first defender. So he'll have to adapt that part of his game if he doesn't have that step. But I think there's there's a good cause to trust in those instincts in the ability, as Waz said, to be one of the leaders in setting up guys in the corners like that. That happens for a reason, that understanding of geometry. Now, is that worth 40 million dollars in contracts from your team to trade for him? I think that's a pretty different proposition. And I would say like what Rob was saying about instincts, the good comparison is Bledsoe, his former Kentucky teammate. Now, Bledsoe is a guy who needs all the athletic ability in the world He's just kind of running around out there. John Wall's a very, very smart player. So I would expect he'll have an easier time transitioning as he moves into his 30s than someone like Bledsoe. Yeah, I mean, the Clippers definitely seem like they're most comfortable or probably at their best in the smaller unit where they're just surrounding guys shooting pretty much at every position. While obviously not much of a shooter, doesn't maybe matter as much if you're putting Reggie Jackson, Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, doing some version of, of a death lineup uh, and, and just like making sure that he is is optimized there. I am curious, though, if this does come to a buyout and we have a bunch of other options on the table. Are there any better ones, Rob? Can you think of a team that might need Wall and Wall might need them in order to rehab his value and maybe get some money back the following year? Well, I think going to the Clippers as a buyout candidate is the best case scenario for them. You know, if they can get him without trading those guys, that would be incredible for their team. I think the Celtics are probably one of the best fits out there just because Wall gives you so much of what the best version of Dennis Schroeder does and a lot more though. I think the, the one caveat to that is 
the reporting around the extension that Marcus Smart signed with the Celtics, it sounded like there was an understanding that Smart would be the starter at point. And if there's kind of an agreement there that that's his his job, his role, maybe bringing on a guy like Wall is a problem. But just in terms of talent and fit and teams that are in the right place to want a player like John, I think Boston makes all the sense in the world. Will Marcus Smart taking pull-up Steph Curry threes interfere with his role as <laughs> starting point guard of the team? Or is that part of the job description? You'll have to ask Ime Odoka. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I, I can see Boston. As a fit, for sure. Another team that's been sorely lacking playmaking throughout the years, right? As their main two perimeter guys are good at good scoring dudes. They're not good table setters, set up guys. Although I think Tatum has taken a lot of strides in that department since he's been drafted, right? That was kind of my least favorite thing about Tatum. He felt like a gunner very early on in his career, but he's gotten better at finding guys. I think still this team needs table setters. That's like Boston and the Clippers. Boston, in a lot of ways, is a younger Clippers team. That's why it kind of makes sense for Wall in those two spots. The million-dollar question with this stuff, or the $92 million question with this stuff, is will John Wall be a backup? Is he willing to back up another guard? Because if not, so many teams out there either have an installed veteran and are a good playoff team already, and they don't have reason to shake things up, or they have a good young guard in place who they want to evaluate and develop and wall doesn't really make sense for their timeline. So there's really just this kind of sweet spot of teams like the Clippers, like the Celtics teams that are hungry to get further in the playoffs or break into the playoffs. That pool is looking smaller and smaller just relative to the glut of point guard talent that's out there right now. I would be surprised if he was pulling this move in order to go be a backup on like the New Orleans Pelicans. It just seems like you don't pull this type of power move unless like one, you really want that money. And two, you still see yourself as the type of player who deserves that sort of treatment. Let me run a few options by you guys because I wrote some down here. What about, so we're assuming that he gets bought out. What about the Bucks on a minimum? You play for a title team. You move Drew Holiday a little bit more off the ball. You're not as reliant on spicy D, Dante DiVincenzo this year coming off an injury and you just play nice. You give Giannis the ball and you just see what happens. Thoughts? I'm not mad at the idea. It's just whenever somebody like Giannis or LeBron, we're talking about optimal fits next to him. Whenever we're adding Rondos and John Walls and Westbrooks to the equation, we start to get nervous because it's like, ah, the best stuff is shooting next to those guys, right? So I start to get a little nervous. But again, that's another team who at times their offense seemed to make no damn sense, right? And so to have a guy to come in that will organize you in those moments, I think would be a valuable addition to them. But, you know, I'm always nervous about adding non-shooters next to Giannis, um, particularly when it's not like a P.J. Tucker guy where it's like, all right, we're just going to ask him to stay in the corner offensively. What he's really doing is guarding KD. What he's really doing is guarding perimeter guys, um, the best ones on the other team. That's not really the case with John Wall. You're not going to stick him in the corner. He's not giving you that, you know, great wing defense because he's just not big enough to perform that task. Uh, so it becomes a different proposition um, altogether with a John Wall type Nixianis. You would have to think of him as, you know, not PJ Tucker value in terms of the defense, but maybe you're getting some of that role value in transition, you know, as mm -hmm. to get us out of the mud, to get us mm -hmm. on the break. You're getting Giannis running more and Drew running more. You got Chris, you know, coming behind the play to set up for threes. A lot of that stuff could work really well. 
The spacing, I agree. It, it does give me a little, it makes me a little apprehensive, but I mean, PJ Tucker shot like 32% in the playoffs. <laughs> in like two shots a game. Right. Yeah. Just standing in the corner with defenses cheating off him. Like there are ways to make it work if that's what they want to do. I think I would prefer probably a more traditional two, a more traditional shooter with that lineup, but I wouldn't fault him for for trying it, especially if it's at a bargain off a buyout, you know? Sharks, what do you think? Well, I would push back on this is a power move from John Wall. I don't think so. I think Houston mm. wants to develop their young guards. Jalen Green, they brought in Kevin Porter last year, and they don't want John Wall there holding the ball because they want to see what those guys can do with the ball. And that goes back to what you were saying earlier. I think if John Wall was backing up like an elite point guard, it's one thing. But John Wall's not going to back up Kevin Porter on a 21 team. That doesn't make sense. That's why this is happening. I don't think he's really... I think he's being forced out much as he's being forcing his way out. Sure. The general rule is there are no mutual decisions in the NBA. All <laughs> mutual partings of ways, all mutual calls to put a guy on the bench and never play him. Those are, those are not usually mutual. Another team on the board here, the Dallas Mavericks of our two hometown Texans here. I actually saw Dallas floated as a potential trade destination by someone as a way to get off Christos Porzingis' contract oh, a year on. earlier, which seems extreme, but like that's another potential option, ah. especially if he gets injured earlier in the season. Sharks, what do you think about the fit, both as a trade option and as a buyout guy too? It's tough because if you come to Dallas, you just don't get the ball. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> like Luke is not giving John Wall the ball and saying, like, well, I'm going to spot up now and run off the bike. No. So I think it's tough. I do love that this is like a be careful what you wish for monkey's paw version of Dallas <laughs> fans wanting secondary playmaking. It's like, oh, you wanted a guard to take pressure off Luca? Here, take John Wall who can't shoot and will demand touches and pull the ball away from your best player. Are we really here with Chris Dapps, Porzingis, where... He's basically cannon fodder in a salary dump. Like, I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. I think as a starting center, he's better than most of the ones we have in the league. And he's very easily plug and play because of his range at that position. So he's not... <laughs> He's not Kevin Love yet where, you know, the dude's demanding the trade as a guy that nobody wants to trade for, right? Like, he's not that toxic of an asset. I don't think he's in the running for that quite yet, but I think as a buyout candidate, I love the idea of letting Luca take breaks on possessions instead of being just the only source of offensive initiation on the team, albeit a great one and who looks like to be an all-time great one at that position, right? But, you know, he's still a human being. <laughs> you know, like the guy has only so much to give in a given game, possession by possession. So I love the idea of bringing in a possession soaker like John Wall is. Mm-hmm. Kevin Love is just sitting on a beach somewhere taking strays Look, all throughout I, this podcast. I love podcast. Kevin Love, man, but when he demanded a trade, it was just hilarious. It's like, bro, you're on a horrible deal. You're a stretch four, which nobody gives a damn about anymore. And like, like, and you're going to expect stuff at the team that you get to. Like, who's trading for that? <laughs> Noted group chat enthusiast, Kevin Love, just listening to this podcast on the beach right now. Last one. I think this one makes maybe the most sense. What about the Spurs? Does it? Well, I mean, I feel like Derek White is hurt 
all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he is currently. And so at the very least, you need a point guard in conjunction with DeJounte Murray. I just feel like it's a very buy low on a star who you typically wouldn't be able to attract. And considering their background and history of being able to massage minutes out of guys who are otherwise hurt or at the end of their rope, it could be a nice marriage of, of convenience, basically. I think they've done great jobs of rehabilitations in the past, right? I think you think of a guy like Rudy Gay and how he was able to reimagine himself in his game in San Antonio. And it did a lot to further his career, right? Like he got a, he got a dope deal with San Antonio. Uh, he wasn't a minimum guy this summer um, and signed with Utah. And I think that was an amazing pickup for them. I think, you know, the Spurs can absolutely help John Wall you know, sort of reinterpret what it is that John Wall does as an NBA player, as a lead ball handler type of guy. You know, I can imagine a scenario in which that works. They've been pretty creative at that type of stuff in the past. I'm just not sure there's a more important question for San Antonio than are DeJounte Murray and Hmm. Lonnie Walker and Devin Vassell and Derek White actually really good? Because if they, if you if you can give those guys airspace and they're able to to thrive and develop, that's kind of the the future path for your franchise. And if they're not, you kind of need to know as soon as possible. So you could trade for a guy like Wall. I just feel like he's going to take a lot of oxygen out of that room. Yeah, San Antonio's really in the Houston spot now, which is weird to think about. But like they're a bottom three, bottom four team that needs to develop young players and possibly get high, high draft picks. Like they don't need a 30 year old to come in and hold the ball and rehab his value because they're not going to trade him anyway. So to Rob's earlier question, I think, yes, I do think they need to figure out what they have with these young guys. To a certain extent, they're not really young, young guys anymore. Dejounte Murray has been here for a couple of years. Um, like, I don't know. Are we expecting Lonnie Walker and Devin Vassell to really pop as superstars? I just think like you could work John Wall into that system that they have because I, I also think it's interesting to, to take some risks on some buy low guys like Zach Collins. I don't know if they necessarily bought low. It seemed like they gave him a, a pretty meaty contract there. Um, but like, I don't know how else they're going to generate superstars, especially if they're going to play around 500 ball flirt with the play in tournament, maybe make the playoffs. I don't know how they're going to get that guy in there. So I do wonder if like rehabbing a guy into that Collins wall, whoever is a smart approach because maybe they could turn wall into some facsimile of who he used to be. And that would be a boon for them. And I don't know if it necessarily detracts from what they're trying to do with the young guys. It's probably also worth asking if Greg Popovich cares if the Spurs are good (laughs) in one of the final years of his coaching career, probably in the NBA. Like, does it matter to him if they're pushing for the playoffs or the bubble or whatever, or is he cool with just slow playing and developing guys? We'll, we'll have to see, you know, just how much San Antonio as an organization feels that pressure or wants that pressure right now. Right. So Sharks alluded to this earlier. So Wall is definitely getting all the attention here, but they do have another veteran kind of just lingering in the background as they make this pivot toward a youth movement in Houston. Eric Gordon is a guy you don't hear much about. I did see him on a broadcast during, I believe, the Cade versus Jalen Green game. They're like, hey, you excited about these young guys? And he's like, "Ah." (laughs) (laughs) so Sharks, for you, would you be targeting Gordon if you are a team like, let's say, the Mavericks? 100%. To me, Gordon, more than Wall, Gordon is an off-ball player. Gordon was successful with peak James Harden, which is not easy to do. He was the one guy who stuck around, 
never really complained about his role, just got buckets off the ball, guarded a high level. People forget Eric Gordon locked up Donovan Mitchell in the playoffs not too long ago. I mean, he's a guy who can guard two, three positions. He's an elite shooter. He can handle the ball. He was playing in those Warriors Rockets series at a super, super high level. He's not that old. He doesn't make that much money. To me, if I'm Dallas, like Eric Gordon is the guy I want. And I think that can he can fit in almost anywhere. And I really love his game. Well, he does the one thing that very few Mavericks do, which is catch and go. Like he can shoot, but he can, as you said, Charks, put the ball on the floor, attack, drive. Like he has a little bit of, of burst coming out of that, which, I mean, you don't want Reggie Bullock doing that stuff. Tim Hardaway Jr. will do it occasionally. But they they really need players who can do that. And I like this idea of looking at the types of players, or in this case, the specific players who are really good around Harden, because those guys were often catching the ball at a standstill at like, you know, needing to attack the weak side of a defense. And if you can, if you can mine that skill set, that's exactly what the Mavs need to be doing right now. To me, the only question around Eric Gordon has always been like his availability. Can he stay on the floor? Right. He's had a very checkered injury pass, but whenever he's played, he's been effective because of what Jarks mentioned. He's guarding guys and he has range out the wazoo. And, you know, he's not afraid to put the ball on the floor and kill people. Like, you know, I love Darian Finney-Smith, but that's that's not what he does with The Rock, right? That's not what most of these guys on the Mavs outside of Luke could do. They don't create, um, they don't attack closeouts, they don't attack switches. I think Gordon will give them, you know, a bit of that. And I know I messed up homie's name, but <laughs> such is life. <laughs> you saw Rob just like licking his chops on, on the Zoom here. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I don't ever want to hear about Daniel, Tony, Justin Gafford ever again. <laughs> and we're leaving that in there. Yeah, no, Gordon makes a lot of sense. I also think he would help on the defensive end too. Like if, if we're following the Harden era Houston blueprint, like they kind of based their defense around like fire plug type guys who were switchable. I do think that that would be a boon without uh, on a Dallas team that, as we talked about last episode, definitely needs that there. Um, is there any other team, maybe some of the other teams that we mentioned, Sharks, that Gordon would be a fit on? I mean, the beauty of Eric Gordon is he fits just about everywhere. Yep. Because he does thread that needle of being able to attack without needing the ball. So you can bring him in and not really mess up, you know, everyone else's rhythm with the ball because he can such a good off-ball player. I mean, make a list of teams. It's really more about finding the 20 million to trade for him. Right. He would fit in Brooklyn. He's over 30, so then he was a perfect fit for the Lakers. <laughs> he would fit on the Clippers. <laughs> he would fit on a lot of these teams that matter. Philly could make a lot of sense, too. The Bucks. Right. Clippers would be good. Yeah, definitely. Especially because he only makes 18 this coming year. For some reason, makes 19.6 the following <laughs> year and then has a 20.9. I think this is non-guaranteed. So there is a lot of money long term, but like he's easier to fit in. You only have to trade a Luke Kennard and maybe something else as opposed to like really tearing down a lot of your team. All right, let's take a break there and we come back. Uh, let's talk about Aaron Gordon and some of this other stuff. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day really at Sonic for a limited time. You can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out a crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja, crisp lettuce, and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tinder Wrap today. 
Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida. We'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. All right, now let's flip to another Gordon in the news. Aaron Gordon signs an extension with the Denver Nuggets. Four years, $92 million with a player option on the last year. Uh, seems like a pretty reasonable deal, especially after they traded for him last season. Uh, definitely soak up some of the minutes that Jamal Murray might have uh, been vacating here, or at least some of the responsibilities on the offensive end. Uh, my question, I think, is the question that we always come down to with Denver. They seem to be putting themselves in a dicey preposition as far as the luxury tax and fitting all these contracts in because one Michael Porter Jr. is also due an extension for next season. Um Rob, are you worried at all about Denver long-term? Because they've talked a lot about being willing to pay the tax, but they've never actually done it. That's the big question, right? Like, if, if this is an announcement that the Nuggets are playing in the big leagues, you know, that this is historically a franchise that's taking care of their guys in terms of they draft, they develop, they sign those guys to extensions as quickly as possible. If this is a model where they're also paying the Aaron Gordons of the world on top of that, they're really, you know, racking up that salary number. This is what the real contenders do. And the nuggets are in a position over the next couple of years. If they want to be in that category and Jamal or Jamal Murray's recovery, you know, is on pace and as expected, they're going to be in that group. They deserve to be spending this much money to have a competitive team. So it remains to be seen when the bill comes due, are they going to be paying it or will they be, you know, trading out of guys, dishing salary, trying to cut wherever they can. We'll have to wait and see, but I think it I think it speaks to at least a certain it at least suggests that they might be willing to do that in a way that they weren't previously. We don't tend to think of Denver as the biggest cheapskates in the league, but they kind of are like outside of probably Charlotte because, yeah, Mike is like, I ain't paying. But like outside of Charlotte, like Denver might be the biggest cheapskates in the entire NBA. Like they avoid paying that luxury tax as if it's the plague. Right. Um, and so I think what this is an indication of to, to give Gordon this type of money on an extension is like we believe in the core that we have. We think when Jamal Murray comes back and Michael Porter Jr. develops into a real deal, bona fide wing phenom, we're going to be one of the top teams in the West. And so therefore we could pay our probably in this scenario, fourth best player. 23, 24 million dollars a year. I think that's what this means. They think this team is the real deal. And also, you know, it's like, look, Michael Porter, you're not gonna bully us with your <laughs> with your next deal, bro. <laughs> well, that's what I was curious. Like, y'all think he's gonna be a max player? If I was him, I'd ask. I think for a he max. thinks he's a max player. The way he was throwing dollar bills at the club in Vegas, <laughs> mind you, not a strip club, a regular club. This guy was Is throwing this money at people. Was? Sorry, yeah, I was there. First I saw with my own two eyes. I don't even need to have it confirmed by two sources. I'm the <laughs> source. I saw it. The way he was throwing paper, he 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 know he about to get a max. 
I could see <clears throat> Porter Jr. signing something similar to the deal that Embiid signed when he signed his rookie extension, mm-hmm. where there are a lot of incentives based on playing time just to protect them from uh, his injury history. But yeah, I, I think he's pretty much shown that he could be max caliber sort of player. Yeah, I mean, he's deserving of that kind of extension. And th- that's the thing about the Nuggets and whether or not they're cheap or not is, you know, there are franchises that when they're bad, clear the decks. It's like, if we're not in the playoffs, I don't want to be paying shit. You know, I want to be, I, I want to be below the salary floor and, you know, coming up to meet it. And then there are teams that when they're competitive are c- trying to cut corners, you know, the, right. you know, the heat trying to, you know, cut Mike Miller for luxury yeah. tax and pissing mm-hmm. off LeBron, you know? So you don't want to be in that category. I think the the nuggets are kind of on the verge of, you know, they've always been a franchise that has said, we'll pay for a contender. We're willing to pay for a contender. Now we see if that's true. That's like me saying, I'll, I'll put a ring on Rihanna. <laughs> and nobody else. <laughs> yeah, I think most teams though are going to run scared from the luxury tax. We see big market teams with deep pockets running them, if only to just like avoid the repeater tax, which is especially yep. punitive. But you're right. This is really the first instance where you could say like you have the team you've always wanted. You really need to put up or shut up here. Just like some initial projections, the deal that Gordon signed would put them 19 million away from the expected luxury tax, which is actually surprising that they could fit in Jokic, Gordon, and Jamal Murray uh, all on really hefty contracts uh, and still not be at the luxury tax line before they get to MPJ. So if MPJ is making anything above 19 by the start of next offseason, then you're dipping into the luxury tax. So it will be close, but I think the interesting question here is if they have to get rid of one of those guys, who is it? Sharks, is it immediately Gordon just because he's not the most talented offensive player of the three? Or do you say to yourselves, if I have to get rid of someone, it would have to be Murray or Porter just because of how much they dominate the ball in addition to Jokic? I would say it's probably more like, are you going to pay Will Barton 12? Yeah. Everyone else is making. Or the Monte, Monte Morris is your backup point guard making nine. That's mm-hmm. where it's like the rubber meets the road. Like, I'll pay the luxury tax. Yeah, I'll pay the luxury tax on Michael Porter. But are you going to fill out your bench with guys who can actually play? Or are those hmm. big four going to have to do everything? That's kind of the question would be my guess. And like, that's where it does get really, really, really expensive really fast. Is And it just sucks for Denver because this one year where they were still relatively cheap, Murray's going to be out. So it's just, it kind of is what it is. It really is those three, the three mid-level salaries. It's Barton, it's Morris, it's Jamichael Green. Those are the guys who, if, you know, if they start cutting bait and throwing things overboard, those are probably the guys who get thrown. And those Mm. guys will, you know, be very easy to move. Every team can use. They're really good players. Yeah. And I think if you're Denver, that's where like drafting becomes important. So guys like Zeke Naji. My guy Bones Highland. Did y'all watch him in Summer League? He looked pretty good. Guys like that have to kind of play bigger roles. And Compazzo is a former ACB MVP. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a sneak peek for Waz's next segment. <laughs> <laughs> well, just just quickly, Charks, do you have any hope for some of those younger guys? Like Bull Bowls is someone who I feel like we've been talking about for five years, but has never been able to play more than five minutes in a in a preseason game. I like Zeke and Bones. Bull Bowls never really impressed me. I mean, he can shoot, but I don't know. Like, I feel like he's Slowly. kind of been more on the yeah on the hype train. I like those other two young guys a little more than Bobo for looking at the future. 
Because for a team that has had a lot of success in this area, and they've been among the best at just like unearthing guys on the fringes, especially in like some of the late first rounders, the well has been dried up because a lot of those guys ultimately became players who needed actual money contracts. Yep. And so mm-hmm. it's more like Austin Rivers and like the Shaq Harrison types, and then a lot of veterans like J- JaVale McGee is on this team. J- Michael Green is on this team. Uh, Jeff Green is on this team. There's just a lot of green, but not in terms of youth. Actually, I got a question for y'all about the Nuggets long-term. If we're thinking about the long-term play of the Nuggets, do you think Michael Porter will be here long-term? Not because of money, but because he's going to be like, guys, I'm a star. Like, I need the ball all the time. I'm not a third option. Does that become an issue at some point in the next two to three years? I don't know. To me, you got to show and prove. That's the type of thing I don't even think about Michael Porter. First of all, You know, as we said multiple times on this podcast, the guy had, as John Hollinger would call it, the worst medical I've ever seen in my career evaluating draft prospects. Like, literally, that's what Hollinger, like, the worst medical ever. He's a doctor now to tell us this thing? Well, that's what the doctors said. (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) And And so that's always a looming concern. I think that's the elephant in the room with this guy, right? Like, as much as he's shown... There's this this sort of fear that he's just another Brandon Roy, a ticking time bomb as far as what his body is. So I think that's something to always keep in mind. And that's why, to me, he's always the most expendable piece, because he does feel like a guy who his time is limited in the NBA as far as how long his body will hold up. That, to me, is like obvious. Like, all right, you want to go? Shoot, if somebody's dumb enough to take you off of our hands at big long-term money, go ahead. This is where Jamal Murray's injury gets really interesting because if Michael Porter Jr. gets a taste of taking 20 shots a night (laughs) and decides that's the (laughs) life for him, (laughs) the Nuggets are going to be put in a really tough spot when Murray comes back. Well, the problem with trading any of these guys now is that you're not going to trade them for spare parts when you already have a big three, four at the, the crux of your team. Like that's, that's the foundation of your team. Like, that puts you in the same financial predicament to trade Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray for someone of equal caliber, unless you're getting back like a, a young guy on a rookie contract, which if they are a high draft pick, those are still like very pricey contracts these days. Um, so you would really have to be pay. You'd have to trade Porter for something approximating like a bunch of role players, right? So this seems like a, a no-win situation regardless. I think there are ways to manage it, even if Porter has a much larger offensive role than the one he's had just because Jokic's game, there's a lot of leeway to it in terms of how many shots he actually takes. Now, if, if Michael Porter Jr. Finds it very important that he's pounding the rock, taking guys off the dribble, then it's a different conversation. But if it's just a matter of, I want to put up numbers, I want to feel more involved. I want to have a different kind of role. I think there's room for him and Murray to be big time shot takers in volume and Jokic, you know, stepping back a little bit in that capacity, being even more of a facilitator, his game certainly allows for that. So let's transition to some some gripes, I think, that people want to get off their chest here. The Hall of Fame was this past weekend. We talked about it a little bit last week, but there was one person who, who had his name honored, who was had his picture just drenched in sepia that Waz was a, a bit offended by. You want to take it away, my friend? Look, I know we do this game with the Hall of Fame where Dino Raja gets to make it, yet guys like Sean Kemp and Hersey Hawkins don't. And whatever, some might say that's fair, but I'm just like, 
somebody please give me what this damn criteria is. Because a lot of people accuse me of being xenophobic, jingoistic, because I'm acknowledging that the NBA is a vastly superior league to every other thing that's out there, right? We're not talking about the Spanish La Liga and English Premier League, right? Where it's like, all right, two separate professional leagues that are pretty much comparable. And so your exploits in both, you could be like, wow, that was pretty fucking impressive. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about vastly inferior leagues. And for me, it's like, how are we judging your basketball accomplishments, right? What is the, what is the equivalent of second team All-NBA or not even second team because those are like elite, elite, like third team All-NBA guys to whatever the fuck it is people are doing in Europe. What is the European equivalent to that? There is none, right? And we don't honor dudes who consistently are fringe All-Stars, third team All-NBAers. But yet Tony Kukoc, because he killed in the final four of the fucking Eurobasket, is somehow like untouchable. I don't get it. Right. It's not like he was overseas being the Babe Ruth of Italy. Right. Where it's like, you know, all of those crazy stats you hear about Babe Ruth before they allowed black people to play, um, like smacking more home runs than all the other teams combined. That's not what Tony Kukoc was over there doing. So don't tell me like he was over there and he was just this ridiculous force and he would have been a force in the NBA if he wasn't. This dude was a role player. He was like, obviously, a role player. He's never been anything more than that. But because he did it overseas, it somehow weighted more, right? And look, American guys go overseas and kill all the time. Y'all go look up Brad Wanamaker's overseas career. (laughs) Smoking fools over there. Nobody's going to call him a Hall of Famer if he goes on to be a fringe role. Well, Look, he's not going to be as good as Tony Kukoc was on the Bulls on any championship teams, but if he racks up some rings, nobody's going to be like, yo, but man, he was outstanding in the German league. What nobody's about Ekbe Udo on Fenerbahce, man? I mean, that guy's on, a champion. Bro. Come on, bro. <laughs> Nobody, like, look, or Dennis Schroeder, right? Like, because people are like, oh, well, Kukoc used it as a launching pad because overseas is a launching pad for European guys and for Americans is where you go when you're not good enough for the NBA. Whatever. None, none of my business. But let's just say Dennis Schroeder. Nobody's going to talk about his overseas career by the time this career is over. Nobody. Is it because he's black? <laughs> like, I don't get it. <laughs> so it, in, in summation, America first is what you're saying? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Specifically the NBA, right? We're not talking about the NBDL or the G League or the CBA or any of that stuff. It's like the CBS, NBA is yeah. So much better. Like Sean Kemp was so much better than Tony Kukoc ever was. That's not even up for debate. It's like so obviously true. And Sean Kemp hasn't gotten a whiff of the Hall of Fame. But Jerry Reinsdorf gets to basically be, you know, a freaking lobbyist and gets this dude in. This is ridiculous to me. I'm sorry. Rant done. The cherry picking for what international experience matters and it's what ridiculous. doesn't, it's ridiculous. It, it doesn't make any sense, especially, you know, especially when the Hall of Fame is supposed to take into account this like contributor to the game. Are you growing the game in these other countries? I'm, I'm not hearing the, you know, the E. John Lynn Hall of Fame <laughs> case 
five-time MVP, six-time champion, E. John Lynn. Come on. Was he good overseas? I don't even know. Oh, he's been crushing it in the CBA. Yeah. (laughs) Good for him, man. People don't respect the CBA. People respect the Spanish ACB and to a certain extent, Israel and Turkey and some of these other spots. People don't respect the Chinese league, but whatever. Like, again, I made the composite joke the other day, but that man won MVP in the Spanish league. MVP. <laughs> like, what the hell are we talking about? I'm doing some Googling, and to Waz's point, Jan Vesely, <laughs> three-time first-team All-Euroleague performer. Yeah, I'm telling you, Fenerbahce, man. Here, I guess, would be the only counter I can probably muster up here, because I think we're all in agreement that the Hall of Fame is just a total shit show and should probably not be respected at this point as like a credible institution. Was Kukoc, was his youth like at a time when guys just didn't typically make the jump from overseas to the NBA? Like it was very pre-dream team. And so we're, we're, we're thinking about a different world there. And so perhaps they're just like overestimating like how, how unlikely it was for him to go to the NBA in the first place. That's the only thing I can come up with. I guess, you know, having to play for the Soviets and, you know, the trickiness of being able to play overseas, like in other professional leagues. Sure, that can be taken into account, but don't tell me he spent years not dominating the league because the Soviets wouldn't grant him a visa. That's, I mean, like, stop it, you know? And because people will just like, tiss, 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 Waz. This is the Basketball Hall of Fame, not the NBA Hall of Fame. Like, people thought they were making this profound point, but the game is the game, right? And which accomplishments are harder to achieve? Which accomplishments should be weighted more? accomplishments in the NBA with objectively the highest level of talent by far in the world or what you do against mechanics in Serbia. I'm sorry, bro. (laughs) I'm sorry, bro. The NBA is a vastly superior league to these leagues. And again, I'm talking about like, what does it mean to average 17 points in the NBA? Right. And get no recognition for it. Imagine what you could have been doing against those Soviets on a day-to-day basis, dude smoking bogeys in the gym at halftime. Like, come on, fam. Give me a break. I'm just looking forward to when we're doing this podcast 20 years from now and we're (laughs) debating whether the G League Ignites championship in the G League (laughs) finals mattered for so-and-so's career. It's going to be a great time. We would never do it because American dudes, we don't care what they do if it's not in the NBA. And international dudes, their leagues matter because they're international. Well, I mean, we just want to encourage international basketball because really, who cares about the Hall of Fame? Like, you make it or you don't. Like, who's ever going to go to the Hall of Fame to visit anyways? It's just something on TV once a year. Here's the thing, Jarks. I got Peacock. I watch the Premier League. <laughs> I don't watch the damn MLS. I'm sorry. It's a minor league. It's an inferior product. I don't see why Europeans can't do the same with the NBA. I'll also say that I, I grew up about 30 minutes from the Hall of Fame, and it's a lovely day trip. It's just it's fun. <laughs> the thing where you're like trying to block some tall guy's shot on a video board that's like from technology in the 1990s. It's fun, man. <laughs> Shaped like Epcot. You can go to Uno's across the street, have a little, have a little za for your afternoon. <laughs> It's good. We should good do Waz rants though. Y'all been doing this since I've been gone. Like just <laughs> five minutes. This is just a It's cool. This is a gold mine. And we just is, have to tap it. This is just yeah. a manner of speaking when you're from New York City. It's not <laughs> just a rant. This is just how we talk. Sorry, well, y'all. 
related question, which we hadn't discussed previously, but I'm curious what you guys uh, think here. Uh, Marcus Saul retired. Uh, well, it seems like he's not really retiring, but he's he's going to play in Spain and then go out kind of like Pau did this past season. Um, do you think he would make the Hall of Fame just purely on merits of, of the NBA alone? Or is he the type of guy who's going to need the European League slash, uh, you know, international competition committee to to back him for him to get in he needs the international stuff well especially just as a guy who if you look at what matters to the hall of fame mark doesn't have any of the counting stats that gets guys in like he you know wasn't a big time score wasn't even a big time rebounder by the numbers super important player really good player but between coming to the nba a little bit later and if we're just like axing his international experience in terms of like olympic and fiba play i don't know that you know, a couple of a couple of all-star appearances, a defensive player of the year, one championship. That's not usually the kind of resume that gets in for a player without substantial either, you know, great college success or great international success. I think he's for sure going to get in, but it's going to be on the, you know, kind of split between his appeal as an international candidate and as a as a, you know, a great success story in the NBA. To me, Marcus Saul is the type of guy who should be the benchmark for letting international dudes in. This guy was legitimately one of the 25 best players in the NBA at his at the height of his career. He was probably the best player on those grit and grind teams. Like, this dude was a real player. This dude was leading his team to victories. He was the reason why their defense was just completely insane at points, right? While starting Zach Randolph. I might add, okay? So, to me, Marcus Saul is the model of like, yeah, this dude came from overseas and was legitimately one of the best basketball players in the world at the peak of his powers. Like, legitimately making all-star teams, winning defensive player of the year. Like, he was an elite NBA player for a large portion of his career. So, if we're going to do this shit for Tony Kukoc and Dino Raja, like, come on, (laughs) bruh. We got to get Marcus Saul up in there. I love Wait, that. I just get to sit back. Dino Raja? I have to look this yes. up. <laughs> yes, he is. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So Gasol has three All-Stars, two All-NBA, one Defensive Player of the Year award. So yeah, based on credentials alone, he, his case would be dicey. I guess the counter That great that, uh, Spain team, all of that. Yeah, no. But, but if we're saying like don't count the international stuff, I do feel like being a part of two particularly memorable teams uh, probably weighs in his favor just a little bit. Like Greg and Grind was very much an era-defining sort of team. Um, and he was obviously a huge part of that. And then like to win the title on a Raptors team that took down the Warriors. I feel like those are the type of things that, especially mm-hmm. as we get distance from them, are going to matter a little bit more in the terms of just like sympathy and just like uh, just the emotional resonance uh, case of him. And, and so listen, who knows what high school ball in Memphis did for his development, man? Come on now. <laughs> right. If he was wasting away in the Spanish league, who knows if he would even made the NBA? Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, Waz, but it sounds like your point is less about disqualify all the Euro experience or international experience and more about if you were success overseas and you come to the NBA and in the NBA, you're just a guy. You're just, you don't belong in my Hall of Fame. Yeah, you're a seventh, a sixth, seventh, eighth guy on a team. You're probably not a Hall of Famer. No, Marcus Saul was, again, one of the best players in the league, got max contracts. Like this dude was great in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, no, I just I think it's an interesting discussion because he is one of those guys who's going to be on the fence. 
Is Kyle Lowry an automatic? He is, right? Oh, He's me, had enough he success is. late yeah, on, for right? For me, he yep. is, yeah. yeah. I, th- I think Mark is automatic. I don't, I don't really think there's too much debate to be had once you take the totality of his body of work. But are we judging that based on the fact that everybody gets in? Or like, are you setting up a higher standard or bar for some of these guys? I mean, I think he would meet the higher bar too, frankly. Me too. Especially as we move into, don't kill me, Twitter, the advanced analytics era of things, of evaluating the game. Like, if you just do the the actual advanced metrics on Kyle Lowry, I think it's a no fucking brainer that he's been a Hall of Fame level guy and he's been an all-star level guy for longer than we realized because he was doing it on teams that didn't matter. Um, I'm... I'm a Kyle Lowry apologist, Stan. I, I, I love Lowry and his contributions to, to the game. I get to check into a podcast and I don't even have to be the biggest booster for Marcus All and Kyle Lowry. This is a beautiful day. <laughs> well, Lowry's an interesting one though because all of his success has been at the back end of his career. Like his first couple of years in the league were pretty mixed where he was like languishing on that Memphis team. And then he was good on that Houston team, but certainly not to this level. And then he took off like literally midway through his career. It's one of the more bizarre ones. And so, yeah, like now he has six all-star games and has really entrenched himself as like one of the guys of this league. I mean, this offseason was a prime example of that where teams were falling over backwards just to get them. If you're the New Orleans Pelicans, you were completely trashing your offseason in hopes of getting him to your team but like it's definitely a weirder case uh than than i than i think i expected he, he gets in i mean the title too he was the number two guy mm-hmm. in the title team mm-hmm. one thing about lowry while we're talking about international basketball does he get a bump for being i don't know like one of the three most important figures in, in canadian basketball history Nah, he, he's not going to get not a bump. No. No, what he's done for the game oh. internationally. But no, you can't give a black dude credit for international <laughs> growth of the game. You're not allowed to do that. We know that. We know the rules already, Rob. But like, you can't, you can't give the Dream Team credit for growing the game internationally. It was Tony Kukos. Duh. Oh, man. <laughs> That's something you put on a packet that nobody actually like says anything about. The Kyle Lowry got a couple more kids into the Toronto youth system. So shout to him. All right. Thank you to Rob, to Waz, for Charks for joining us, our special, special, special guest. Wish Rob luck out there as he marches on into adulthood as we all sit here and do something with our lives. Thank you to Lonnie Ronaldo for filling in production. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.